tonight, we're thinking about how Jesus cares about our sadness. And so, that is our subject tonight, sadness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I begin to study a subject, I always want to get a definition. I know sadness is one of those things we pretty much understand what it is. So, earlier today, I got the dictionaries, and I'm trying to find what is a really good working definition of sadness? And I have to tell you, the first one I came across was not very helpful. It was from Oxford Dictionary, and see how they define sadness, the condition or quality of being sad. Now, that doesn't do anything for me. And I thought, now, come on, you've got to give me more to work with than that. So I kept trying to find the condition or quality of looking sad. Give me some better definition for sadness. And I did find one from a website. The website is called Very Well Mind. That's what we all want to have, right? A Very Well Mind. <laughs> Verywellmind.com. Notice how they define sadness. Sadness is an emotional state characterized by feelings of unhappiness and low mood. It is a normal response to situations that are upsetting, painful, or disappointing. Now, keep that up there just for a minute, and I want you to look at the second sentence there. It is a normal response. Some of you here tonight are, maybe you're in a low mood, or you're unhappy, or you're sad, and you're thinking, what's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. You've got the same problem I've got. You're human. And sometimes we get that way, but notice what causes it. It's a result of situations that are upsetting, painful, or disappointing. And so that's really what sadness is. And so I want us to think tonight about how in our sadness, when we have this normal human emotion, how Jesus cares about that and how he can help us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight. I wouldn't want to embarrass you on this one. But it would be interesting to know, uh, and again, don't raise your hand, how many here tonight would say, John, I picked a good night to come to church because I'm in a low mood. I am down. I am sad, and I need you to say something or God to say something that can help me out of this sadness. Well, you've come to the right place because in God's Word, we find some help that will help us when we're sad. So if you have your Bible tonight, open it, please, to the New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John. Now, one of the ways that I know Jesus cares about our sadness, as well as all these other emotions, is that after the resurrection, he stayed on earth for 40 days before he went back to heaven. Now, think about this. Jesus had come to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, been buried, and risen from the dead. So, his work on earth was really over. He could have gone back to heaven on Easter Sunday, and as far as you and I are concerned, it would have been just fine because our sins would have been paid for. But Jesus stayed on the earth an additional 40 days after the resurrection, and it was during those 40 days. Now, you say, why didn't Jesus just go back to heaven on Easter Sunday? He was done with everything. Why not return back to heaven? He stayed on this earth because he had some friends who were struggling with their emotions. They were struggling with how they were feeling. They were struggling with how they were thinking. As we'll see next week, these two disciples on the Emmaus Road, they were hopeless. Thomas was filled with doubt. Peter was filled with regret. And tonight, we look at Mary, Mary Magdalene, one of the closest people to Jesus. In fact, we read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus, earlier in her life and in his ministry, had cast out seven demons from this lady. 
Mary Magdalene. Where did she get the name Magdalene? She was from a little town called Magdala in northern Israel, right, by, right on the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever taken a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and we have many times, the guide will always point out, there's the little town of Magdala. There's where Mary Magdalene was from. It was a fishing city, and that's where the people that lived in that place made their money, by f- catching fish and selling fish. This particular lady had seven demons in her. And in Luke chapter 8, we read that Jesus cast all those demons out of her. Can you imagine how happy she would have been to have gotten her life back? She'd been demon-possessed seven times, seven demons at the same time. And she was freed from that. And so she became a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, as Jesus went from town to town, she was one of the ladies who followed Jesus and the disciples. And she was one of the ones who helped pay for any of the expenses that Jesus had. She probably had a lot of money, more than likely, because her name, Mary Magdalene, means that in that town of Magdala, she had some prominence. It would be like calling somebody Mary of Pasadena or Mary of Houston. I mean, if, it, you, know, if you get the whole town behind you, well, you've got some stature there. And so probably she had a fair amount of money, and yet... That money couldn't help her with her spiritual problem. Only Jesus could. And so after he cast those demons out, she became a follower. And everywhere Jesus went, she followed him. And she had her purse, and she had her money. And if Jesus needed to buy something, she was one of the ones who would step up and pay for the meal. Well, when Jesus traveled to Jerusalem the last time and was crucified, Mary Magdalene was in that group. She had gone from northern Israel down down south to Jerusalem, and she had seen Jesus be crucified. She was standing on watching that sight, and it broke her heart. And she had seen Jesus be buried. And she made a mental note of where he was buried. He was buried, of course, on Friday. And she said to herself, I'm coming back to this tomb on Sunday morning so that I can anoint the body of Jesus. On the Sabbath, a devout Jew could not do any work. And so they couldn't do it on Saturday. But on Sunday morning, she went back to the tomb with another lady, and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus. So that's kind of the background of Mary Magdalene and the sadness that she was feeling, first with Jesus' death, but now on Sunday morning as she comes to the tomb. Look at verse number 1. Now on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she gives this message to Peter and John. The next verses tell us that Peter and John ran to the tomb where Jesus had been buried, and we read that John got there first but did not go in the tomb, and then Peter got there, and then he went in, and when he got in, he saw that the tomb was empty. Well, as they were going back, Mary Magdalene went back to the tomb, and in verse 11, this is where we pick up with the story of Mary's sadness. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
And so she was sad for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus had died. And number two, she was sad because she could not express her love to Jesus in this way of anointing his body. You know, much of our sadness, not all of it certainly, but much of our human sadness is caused by the death of someone we love. We're sad because they have died, but we're also sad because we can no longer have conversation with them. We can no longer express our love for them. And we think, if only I could have said this to him or this to her before they died, then it would be better. Maybe I'm sorry, or maybe I'll love you. And so many times, our sadness is compounded because we think, if only I could have expressed my love this one final time to them, and that opportunity was never given. Well, similarly, Mary wanted to express her love for Jesus by anointing his body, but she didn't have the opportunity because his body was not there. Let me say this. To those of you who may have lost a spouse, a parent, sibling, a friend, a child, and you think, if I could only have said that I love them one more time, if I could only have said I'm sorry for some of the conflicts that we had, then I could have a little more closure with this. Friend, let me remind you this. If your loved one was saved, they are currently in heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that, right? Not only that, they now have perfect knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know as we are known. When we get to heaven, we'll have perfect knowledge. You're thinking, if I could only have said to my loved one, I love them. Let me tell you something. They know you love them. If I could only say, I'm sorry, they know you're sorry. Because they, are, they know now as they are known. They have perfect knowledge. And not only that, I'll tell you this. I don't believe that when I, I have four grandparents in heaven tonight, I can't go home tonight and talk to my grandparents. That's not possible. But I'll tell you what I can do if I want to. I can talk to Jesus. Now, we all agree that I can talk to Jesus, right? You can talk to Jesus. And my grandparents are in the presence of Jesus, right? So even though they already have perfect knowledge, for the sake of the argument, I could say to Jesus tonight, Jesus... Would you please tell my grandparents, my grandfather, my grandmother, would you just tell them how much I love them? And since I'm saying that to Jesus, he can say that to them. And so it's not like I can communicate with them directly, but Jesus, in life and in death, and even in that setting, he is the bridge. He is the liaison. He is the go-between. And so tonight, if you think, oh, if I could only have said one other thing to my loved one before they died, I'm trying to give you peace on two grounds. Number one, they already know what you would have said. But if it makes you feel better, tell Jesus and let him tell them, and then the message will have been conveyed, although I don't even think that's necessary because I think they already know. But sometimes it's helpful just to verbalize that and just to get it out, and we can get that word to Jesus. So she was sad for those reasons. Jesus had died, and she could no longer express her love for him. Now, as we build on that, I want to mention quickly three important truths about sadness. And for those of you tonight who are sad, I want you to think about what I'm about to say. Before I get into that, I want to quote a poem or read a poem that I read from Robert Hamilton. It's an old poem, but it's a good poem. He said, I walked a mile with with pleasure, and she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her as sorrow walked with me. 
You know, that's true in life. We would all rather walk with pleasure than with sorrow. We would all rather have a good time than to be down and sad and in a low mood. But the fact is, when we walk with pleasure, even though it's fun, we don't really grow. We don't really benefit. We're none the better or the wiser. But sometimes in life, God lets us walk with sorrow so that we can grow in our faith and in our relationship with God. And these three truths that I'm going to mention tonight will help us to grow when we, if you're sad tonight, this will help you to grow. Number one thing that I wish you would remember is that Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. Isn't that what we want more than anything when we're sad? We just want somebody to understand how we feel and for somebody to get it. And, and to know how we feel and what we're going through. It's interesting, last Wednesday night I got home from church, and in my own Bible reading, I'm reading some at night through the Old Testament book of Exodus. And so last Wednesday night I came to chapter 3, Moses at the burning bush, and the children of Israel are down in Egypt, and they're suffering and being mistreated by Pharaoh, and they're praying out to God, God, get us out of this bondage. Get us out of here and help us. And God goes to Moses out there in the middle of nowhere, and God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush, and God calls Moses to leave where he is and to go back to Egypt and to deliver the children of Israel out of that Egyptian bondage. But God, when he was speaking to Moses, chapter 3, verse 7, he said three very interesting things to Moses, and he was saying this to Moses. He's saying, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell my people these three things. And when I read these three things last night, I thought, God hasn't changed. And God knows when we're in bondage, and God knows when we're sad, and these three things are just as applicable for us as they were for them. God said, Moses, you tell the people who are so sad down in Egypt, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. Let's say that together. I have seen, I have heard, and I know. I have seen what they're going through. I have heard their cries for help, and I know what they need. I know what they're facing, and I know how to get them out of that bondage. And I want those words tonight to be God's words to you. God has seen and does see the situation that you're facing. God has heard your cry for help. God has heard your prayer. For, not, for somebody tonight, just that truth that God has heard your prayer, that needs to sink in. And not only that, God knows. He knows what you're facing. He knows the situation. Let me give you another verse. In Job chapter 23 and verse 10, Job, you talk about a man who was sad, had lost so much in his life, his 10 children, his health, his reputation, his money, his finances, everything he had lost. And he didn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. And in Job chapter 23 and verse 10, Job says this, he knows the way that I take. Think about that. Job said, I don't know the way that I take. I can't explain what's happening to me. I cannot explain why I'm going through what I'm going through. And how many of us here tonight would say, me too, Job. I've been through things in my life I don't understand. Maybe tonight some of you are going through something and you're saying, I don't know the way that I'm going. This doesn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense to Job. And Job just finally threw up his hands as if to say, I don't know what's happening in my life, but he knows the way that I go. And when he has tested me, Job viewed it as a test. He said, I shall come forth is gold. Now, you ought to let that sink in tonight. Somebody who is sad and in a low mood, and you're just down, and you think nobody understands the old song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Yet, nobody knows but Jesus. 
He knows, and he cares, and he can help you through this. Now, the second thing, not only does Jesus know what you're going through, Jesus cares what you're going through. Let me show you this verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. If we could only choose one verse and let this verse be the key verse of our next four Wednesday nights, this would be a good verse. Look at it. Casting all your care upon him. Now, watch this next part. For he cares for you. Say those last few words with me. For he cares for you. You believe that? Say amen. That he cares. And then another verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. One of the reasons Jesus cares is because he understands what it's like to be a human being and to live in a fallen world and to have sadness. Notice it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus cares because he understands and he sympathizes. And then Jesus has the power to help you through whatever it is that you're going through. You see, I'm glad sometimes in life we have a problem and maybe we'll call a friend or a family member and we tell them what our problem is and they understand it and they get it. And we say to, my, we say to ourselves, finally, somebody understands what I feel. And then one step better than that is when they truly care. And they say, man, not only do I know, but I, I care. I mean, th- you're h- sad. This hurts my heart. The thing that sets Jesus apart from our family and friends is simply this. He has the power to help us through what we're going through. Another verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly so we come to God so that he can help us. Now, the question is tonight, certainly we're glad that he knows, we're glad that he cares, and we're certainly glad that God has the power to help us when we're sad. The question is, how is he going to do that? How does God come to us and help us when we are down and the doldrums, and sad because of the situations that we're going through in life. So let's get back to Mary, and let me just mention several things here. First of all, he meets us at the point of our sadness. He meets us at the point of our sadness. Now, you're in John chapter 20. Look again at verse 13. Then they said to her, woman, these two angels, now why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. him." Verse 14. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And so, in the middle of her sadness, Jesus shows up. She's sad. She's weeping. She's hurting. She's crying. And she looks up, and there's Jesus. She didn't recognize that it was Jesus because he's in his resurrected body, and her eyes have not been opened yet spiritually. But it was nonetheless Jesus. And that says to me that Jesus meets us in our sadness. Now, I'll tell you something else he does. Not only does he meet us at the point of our sadness, he helps us to articulate the cause of our sadness. In other words, Jesus, remember, he's a great physician, right? He's the great physician. And so when you go to a doctor and you have a problem, the doctor's going to begin to push around on you, 
And the doctor's going to say, How does, does this hurt? Is this sensitive? Do you feel anything here? What's that doctor doing? That doctor is trying to put his finger on where your pain is, where your problem is, trying to get you to help him to understand. Well, Jesus didn't need any help. He knew everything, but he wanted Mary to articulate why it was that she was so sad. Verse 15, what woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She was, she was explaining to Jesus why she was sad. She said, I've come to anoint my friend's body, but his body's not here. Can you tell me where it is? You know, one of the things that helps us with our sadness is to try to put words to it. Chuck Swindoll has a little saying about our thoughts, and I didn't plan on saying this, so I'm probably not going to get this right, but I'm going to take it. Help me, Lord. I'm going to try to say this. And he said... Out the lips and through the, here's what he said, our thoughts untangle themselves as they come out of our lips and through our fingertips. Now think about that. Our thoughts untangle themselves. Sometimes our thoughts are tangled. Sometimes we're sad or in a low mood or down. We really don't even know why. But when we begin to try to verbalize what we're feeling, some, that there's something therapeutic about that. If you've ever been to a counselor, you know that the first thing that counselor is going to try to do is to get you to talking. What's going on? How do you feel? And what's that counselor? He's trying to get you or she's trying to get you to untangle your thoughts. Our thoughts untangle themselves as they come out the lips and through the fingertips. And if you write it down, it's even better. And so there's something about articulating what it is that we're going through. I have a a pastor that, that, uh, that I admire greatly, and he tells the story how all of his life he had a problem understanding. He understood it from a, you know, from a theological perspective or a mental perspective. If you would have asked this pastor, do you believe that God loves you? He would have said, yes, of course, I believe God loves me. But he never really applied God's love to his own life, and it, 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 had a tremendous, it had a terribly negative effect on him. He was constantly insecure, down, and so on like that. So on one occasion, he called four friends. This pastor was about 50 years old at the time, and he said to his four friends, he said, listen, I'm having a problem, and I don't know what my problem is, but is there any way if, if we could all four fly to Colorado and just meet there for two or three or four days and let me pour out my heart to you, and whatever the four of you men tell me to do, I will do at the end of these days, because I have hit a roadblock in my life, and I can't move beyond this. So they all agreed. They met him in Colorado at somebody's house, and when he got there, they're all in this big room, and they said to the pastor, they said, you just talk and say whatever it is that you want to say, and we're just going to listen. And then whenever you get finished talking, whether it takes one day, two days, three days, however long, we're going to get together, the four of us, we're going to pray, and we're going to tell you what we think your problem is. Now, those are four good friends right there. So that's what happened. The pastor was pouring out his heart, and he said his, he was telling stories. Things were disjointed. It's just coming out. One day goes by. Another day goes by. This went by for a while. One day in the midst of, of this conversation, one of the four men, when this pastor was finished saying all he knew to say. One of the men said, what I want you to do, he was sitting at a table. He said, lay your head on the table. 
and close your eyes. And so the man, the pastor did that. He laid his head on the table and he closed his eyes. And he said, I want you to imagine your father coming to you and hugging your neck and telling you that he loves you. I want you to imagine that, and I want you to tell me how you feel. The pastor did this. He imagined his father coming and hugging his neck. The pastor began to cry profusely, and when he got through that, the men said, tell us about this experience. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And he said to those men, he said, my father died when I was about nine months old. I never really knew him. And all my life, I have thought, if I could only have had my father in my life to love me, to wrap his arms around me. And so in that setting, through those men, through the Holy Spirit, and through this man, man articulating how he's feeling, it's like the Holy Spirit just put his finger on the problem. The problem was that man had never felt the love of his earthly father. Well, it wasn't his earthly father's fault. His earthly father had died when he was super young. And as a result of that, he was never able to view God as his father. He viewed God as a disciplinarian, God as a judge, God as a righteous king, God as a monarch with a staff in his hand. He had no problem with the sovereignty of God, but he had a problem with the fatherness, the fatherhood of God. The pastor went back to his church the next week. He went through all of his old sermons. He was 50 years old. He wanted to know how many sermons he had ever preached on the love of God. And he saw that in all of his ministry, he'd only preached one sermon on the love of God. He never preached on the love of God because he never experienced the love of God. And he never had experienced the love of God because he never understood what it was like to have a father's love. And so what I'm saying is, sometimes we need four friends like that. Sometimes we just need one friend. Sometimes we need somebody. And sometimes it just has to be God who's listening to us. But we need to untangle our thoughts by getting those thoughts out of our mouth, even if it's jumbled and it takes a while, and maybe even write it out, and that will help us. Now, sometimes, and maybe, maybe I'm not the only one here who's, who's had this experience. I'm sure I'm not. But sometimes we're sad, and maybe we're in a low mood, and we don't even know why we're sad. Has anybody ever felt like that before? You just felt sad. And maybe you can't, you just say, John, I've tried to articulate it, and maybe I need to work on that some more. I'm not even sure if I can get that out. Let me show you this verse in Psalm 42 and verse number five. The psalmist here is talking to himself. The psalmist is in a low mood. He's sad. And notice what he says to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Be like me saying, John, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you down today? And why are you disquieted within me? He's asking himself what's wrong, and he didn't know what was wrong, but he did know the solution. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And so, if you really want to hit the fast forward button and go on with this thing about sadness and say, how is it that God helps me? Well, I'm walking right through how he did it here with Mary. He meets us at the point of our sadness. Some of you have come to church tonight because somebody invited you. Or maybe you saw the little Facebook video yesterday. You say, well, I think I'll go. Okay, that's why you came. But the real reason you came is because God just drew you here. And the reason God drew you here is because you're sad and you're low. And God wants to meet you here tonight. And he wants you to articulate the cause of your sadness. For those of you who are sad tonight, you have to do it silently and in your seat. But why is it that you think you're sad? Why do you think you're low? 
Well, whether you can verbalize that or not, the answer is found by putting our hope in God. But let's keep going beyond that. Because how does God help us? Not only in those ways, but He speaks to us in the most personal of ways. Now look back. You're in John 20. Look in verse number 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, that's Rabboni or Rabbani, which is to say teacher. And so Mary thought this man was the gardener. But when he called her name, Mary, she thought to herself, the gardener doesn't know who I am. The way Jesus spoke that, the way Jesus spoke that uh, word to her. I was in a, a, a doctor's office recently and hadn't seen this doctor in over two years. And uh, doctor came in my office in, 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 the, in the room where I was and had their mask on. <laughs> so you can't really see their face that well anyway. But uh, the doctor had changed. The doctor had lost weight. The doctor's hairstyle had changed. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think it was the doctor. I was in there kind of with the assistant. And uh, we had been talking, and here comes this other person in. I didn't know who it was, to be honest. And the, the person sat down, and when they started talking, I recognized their voice. And I wanted to say, is that you behind that mask? Because it doesn't look like you, but it sure does sound like you. And it was her voice that helped me to identify who she was. Well, the same thing happened here with Jesus and Mary. When Jesus used his voice to call her name Mary, he had heard that voice. He had heard, she had heard that voice, and she had heard him call uh, her name before. And so sometimes God speaks to us in the most personal of ways. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, have you ever heard God call your name? Most of us here tonight would say, no, we never have. And that's an honest answer. And by that we mean we have never heard God call our name audibly. Some here tonight might say, I believe I have heard God call my name. You look back to when you were saved and you just felt God calling your name. Maybe though it wasn't audible, it was in your heart. You know what I've learned about God? Sometimes God calls our name without calling our name. In other words, sometimes God will speak to us in a very personal way. I've had this happen many times in my life where God speaks to me in a personal way. He calls my name. He just doesn't say John. I can remember one season in my life, one of the ways that God spoke to me in a personal way was on Saturday afternoons. I don't know if any of you listen to the radio on Saturday afternoon, but from about 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock in there somewhere on Saturdays on 105.7, they have this call-in thing where you can just call in and they'll play your favorite song. And it seems like I'm in my car a lot on Saturdays going to different places, doing different things. And through the years, I've heard a lot of good songs. Well, at this particular season in my life, it seems like every time I got in my car on a Saturday and turned that radio on, it was the same song that was being played, The Anchor Holes. And we love to hear that song here in the church. Billy Powell and our choir sing that, The Anchor Holes. But when every time I heard the anchor holds, I just knew that God was speaking to me. Sometimes God speaks to us not maybe through a song, but God will speak to us through a scripture. He leads us to a verse in the Bible. Maybe God speaks to us through a friend. God knows how to call our name even if he doesn't exactly call our name. And maybe for some here tonight, God is calling your name 
Even though I haven't called your name, I may not even know your name, but here you are in church, and we're thinking about how God helps us with our sadness. And what have I said? He meets us at the point of our need. He gets us to articulate as best we can what's causing our sadness, and then he speaks to us through a scripture, through a song, through someone else, through his spirit. He speaks to us in the most personal of ways, and we know that that is God, and then his presence itself is the cure. Now, for those here tonight who are sad, you're saying, well, I'm glad to know all this buildup, but I've been wanting to know what is the cure for my sadness. In a sentence, it is this. The cure for your sadness is the presence of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 17. Jesus said to her, after he's called her name, and now she recognizes this is Jesus. Some of you tonight, it's taken this long into the sermon, and it's just dawned on you, this one was for you. God is speaking to you. God wants to lift you out of that sadness, and God wants to put a song in your heart, and God wants to restore your joy, and it's clicked in you, in it, with you, and it's dawned on you that Jesus is here tonight, and he's speaking to you, and in verse 17, he said to Mary, do not cling to me. She's grabbing onto his feet. It says, for I've not yet ascended to my Father, but go now to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And so no doubt when she went back and told Peter and John and the other disciples what had happened, she is saying that with some excitement in her. She's saying, Jesus is alive. When I saw you last time, I was concerned that his body was gone. But now I'm telling you, he is alive and he is well. And in Mary's case, think about this, the cure for her sadness was the presence of Jesus Christ. He showed up. She was aware of his presence. Sometimes it takes that too. We have to be aware. And then her sadness was gone. Let me show one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Psalm 16 and verse 11. Notice what David said, talking to God. He said, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Say that part with me. In your presence is fullness of joy. Where's the joy? It's in his presence, right? And then it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to be very clear on this as we, as we come to the end. The cure for your sadness, the answer for your low, low mood, or your unhappiness, your despondency, the blahs, I heard one pastor say, one of the problems we have in churches today, you've got the blah leading the blah. Instead of the blind leading the blind, you've got the blah leading the blah. Well, sometimes we're all blah. But you know, God doesn't want us to be blah. God wants to renew our strength. God wants there to be, a, God wants us to, there to be joy in our heart. And in his presence is fullness of joy. The cure for your sadness tonight is the presence of Jesus Christ and your recognition of his presence. You say, now, John, I, I believe that. You say, I believe that the cure is Jesus. His presence. My awareness of his presence. And yet... If we could push that one, if we could play like we're in a counselor, I'm, I'll be the counselor, and, and we're in the office, and we're talking about this, and you say, John, I believe that. I believe the cure is Jesus, his presence, my awareness of his presence. I believe that. And yet the truth be known, I'm still sad. So what's the problem now? And that's a good question. That's a good question. Somebody says, I know the answer is Jesus. I know Jesus is here. 
I even have an awareness that Jesus is here, and yet I'm still saying, what's wrong with me? Not anything. Here's, here's, here's the situation in that case. Sometimes, like in Mary's case, when Jesus revealed himself to her, her sadness went away just like that, instantly. And that happens sometimes. That happens like that. I've had that. I've been down. God reminds me he's with me. Immediately, I'm, at, I'm not down. I'm up. I'm happy. I'm joyful. Sometimes, though, I get, I've been down. I've been sad. I know God is here, and yet I'm still sad. Like, well, now what's wrong? Remember this. While it is true that sometimes God lifts the cloud of sadness quickly, sometimes the cloud of sadness disperses gradually. I've learned this about God and life. God and time are a powerful combination. And sometimes we have to give God time. You know the reason I think that is, if we could just push it even one step further? We're getting a real counseling session here. No charge, by the way, for any of this tonight. You say, John, don't worry. I wasn't going to give you anything for this. But no charge. One of the reasons that sometimes it takes time for that cloud of sadness to lift and disperse is because God wants to see how persistent we are in seeking after him. In other words, from God's perspective, here I am, and I'm not, I'm not sad tonight. I'm, I'm thankfully quite happy tonight. But let's just play like I was sad. I was sad. And so I've heard this sermon, and I go home tonight, and I say, Jesus, I'm sad, but I heard what the preacher said, and I know that the solution is your presence and my awareness of your presence, and I know that you're here with me, and the sadness just left just like that. Well, I mean, if it always just happened like that for me, it might be that tonight after I went home and the sadness lifted and I was back happy again, I might say, hallelujah, let's watch the Astros game tonight. <laughs> hallelujah, let's, I know they played this afternoon, but hallelujah, let's watch the uh, movie tonight. Let, let's watch the TV show tonight. Let's watch the news. I'm so happy now. Let's just go to a movie. Let's go to the mall. Let's do something fun now that I'm no longer sad. So what would have happened in that scenario is God took away my sadness and then I forgot all about him and went back and did what I wanted to do. So sometimes God says, I am the answer to your sadness. When you become aware of it, it eventually will lift. But I'm going to let that linger a little bit longer so that that persistent sadness leads you to seek me more fervently. It's the same principle in prayer. If God always answered every prayer the first time we prayed it, we wouldn't even ask for it the second time. I mean, I think from God's perspective, God says, there's sometimes I'm going to have to let my children live under a little bit of a cloud of sadness a little bit longer than they want to just so they will keep coming to me, just so they will keep seeking me, just so we can form a deeper bond than we would form if I just immediately lifted it. It's in the, sometimes it's in the struggle that the bond is established between us and God. And so tonight, I encourage you, don't seek God primarily so he'll take away the sadness, although it's perfectly acceptable and even right to ask him to do that. But seek God because you want to know God better. 
And as you pursue knowing God better, you know what will happen to that sadness? As your focus becomes not just the lifting of the sadness, but as your focus becomes God himself. One day, maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday, maybe Saturday, maybe next week, one day you'll wake up and you'll just say, it's gone. I'm not down. I'm not sad. I'm not in a low mood. I have my joy back. And God will say, maybe not to you, but to himself, yes, you do. But you've got something more than your joy. You've got a deeper bond with me than you ever would have had if you never got sad in the first place. Amen? And that's why that poet said, I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, what I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. Amen?